I feel that inspired energy is... That inspiration and something takes your breath away. The tie-in for inspired energy and fear. Inspired energy for me is the energy that you draw from others. You know, and I think that maybe fits into my definition of inspired energy. Like, right now, I'm in the zone. Inspired energy. So I think, for me, the inspiration comes from people. Being inspired to use up your energy. Inspired energy was what motivated me. Ah, inspired energy. This is episode 94 of the Inspired Energy podcast, and in this episode, I'm catching up with Mads Friss. And Mads is an expert in Nordic biohacking and creating habits for top performance. Mads draws on his experience from his own podcast, Growth Island, which you need to check out, and also his work as a business entrepreneur and mentor for others. We explore how you create habits for your growth and your well-being and to be the best you can, and also how you let go and drop some of those negative habits that can get in your way. It's a wonderful conversation with Mads exploring Nordic biohacking, which, to be honest, was a little new for me, and um, to also build on the knowledge we've shared before in previous podcasts around creating habits for your success. So sit back, grab your notebook, and get ready for a great conversation to set you to be the best you can. Mads, welcome to the podcast. I've been excited to catch up with you and talk to you about a range of topics, um, particularly around habits. Uh, I know you're really passionate about helping people implement some real change through resetting the habits, looking at those. Um, and I've loved our chat already before we started recording around uh, your passion for what you do. Um, how are you and, and where are you right now? Thanks, Marie. Thank you so much for inviting me here on the show. I've really been looking forward to it. So I am in Denmark right now. I am down in the southern part of Denmark because I'm doing a skydiving course. So I had a late skydive with the sunset yesterday and now it's early morning and I've been looking forward to this interview. So tell me skydiving. You're the first skydiver I've had on the podcast. I've had some extreme skiers and uh, pilots and a range of people. Why skydiving? Since I was a small kid, I always wanted to fly. Uh-huh. So we're talking like four years old and I used to take like papers in my hands. I would find these, um, what do you call it? The, the playhouses um, before kindergarten. And I would jump out flapping my hands, uh, <laughs> <laughs> trying to fly. It, it wasn't such a good strategy. So uh, yeah, the, the adults looking after me had to tell my parents that I should stop doing that. When I got older, I started uh, playing with weights because I realized if I just had a bigger like um, wing, I'd probably be able to fly. Didn't work either. So that obsession with flying, I can't. It's kind of like freedom and full energy. Yeah, you are like flying in the world. You can see the world, and and yeah, well, it's inspired energy or what you call it. For me, it's that freedom and and feeling myself in a different way. So uh, so now I'm doing the course, and it's it's fantastic. And and how far into the course are you at this stage? So I'm at my eighth jump. Um, so today I have to do a back roll and then regain my balance. And my friend did it yesterday. He was jumping around three or four times. So um, I'm, I'm excited, 
a little nervous yeah. to yeah. do it today, but it's it's going to be interesting. It's luckily an instructor who jumps out, who keeps an eye on me, that can catch me if I if I tumble too much. Yeah, got you, got you. And and what height are you jumping out of the plane from? We're jumping at uh, four thousand kilometers, so like ten thousand feet. Ten thousand feet, got you. Okay. Um, what's what's some of the insights you think you're getting to yourself by now doing this as a as a sport? Because I can you, imagine you, the mindset's really important. The mindset is key. Yeah. And so when once you get into the plane. You feel your heart start beating a bit more. Right? Mm-hmm. Your hands are suddenly starting to get more sweaty, but that's actually a good sign. That means that your your systems are still working because this is not a normal thing to do. So that's the body really telling you, like, "Hey, dude, what the hell are you doing? You're not supposed <laughs> to jump out of a plane." <laughs> um, but you're you're learning to to teach the body as well to be in a super stress situation and relax. So you're breathing when I'm sitting up there. Like slow breathing, calming down system, focusing on like, this is not going to be dangerous. I got some instructors around me. I know what to do. I've been practicing the habit so many times to release my parachute and so on. So I think it's really a good window into like the stress that you can meet in the everyday life, but that you can actually overcome it. Yeah. Wow. It's such a great link to talking to you today about habits and, um, and then taking as you're talking there about how you can get those um, bodily functions under control, tap into that and then transfer that to other stressful situations in your life. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. So tell me why habits for you, why is this an area that you are so passionate about and you've been um, focusing on for some time? Habits are really, so most people think about, um, I need to build a new good habit because they want to get in shape or something else, but habits is much, much more than that. Habits is really what shapes your identity. And that's why I find it so fascinating mm. because what we continuously do is who we become. So I used to be an athlete. Um, so even after I played or stopped playing sports at a high level, I would continue to do sports because that was the identity that I had. So I would continue to have this habit. And, it, and it's the small things, right? We try to make like huge life differences. But how yeah. often does that work? How how, often not not often. This? Yeah, not often. No? And we know that from research, people fall back where if we start building these small habits, that is really like the long-term sustainable change for becoming the person that you want to be. So that's why I find it extremely fascinating because it gets me closer to being the person that I want to be. And when I coach people and so on, I see like this mind shift things that we need to work with them on, but it is really building these like good sustainable habits that last more than three weeks or three days for most people. So there's... A range of research I've seen over the years around 21 days and 90 days to lock in that habit. What's your understanding and what do you tell your clients? How often do they yeah. need to stick to something for it to become a habit? So research is always hard to do, right? There's so many parameters. And um, mm. the common thing that when you go online, it says 21 days. I haven't been able to locate it uh, and I know several other researchers that look into habits haven't been able to locate like the, the really good paper that shows that 21 days is the thing. So, and it's kind of that annoying answer that it depends. So the more addictive that your behavior is, the faster it goes. So we can just think about social media and your cell phones. It doesn't take you 21 days to get in the habit of picking up your phone and looking on Instagram or Twitter, for example, if you start using that or TikTok. 
So it can go extremely fast in yeah, a few yeah. days if the behavior is kind of addictive and rewarding enough. So we get so much dopamine when we use our phone. So it becomes a habit so fast for us. It's super easy to, uh, to do and it's super rewarding. Thereby, it creates a habit much faster. Where when we're trying to create something that is not as pleasant, it takes a lot longer to get that habit in. And we need to continue it a lot, um, a lot more to actually get that habit to stick. Yeah. We always fall back kind of to our habits when we're in a pressured situation. So it's easy when like the kids are not screaming, you have plenty of time, there's no deadlines, then it's easier to stick to those habits, but they're not that deep rooted unless you've really been working on them for longer and you get that reward. So it's a big part of also like how you build the habits is the system so that you build in these reward systems. So it actually becomes a habit that your brain is craving to do. You got me thinking about how do we bring the dopamine into any habit so it feels rewarding. Exactly. And that is actually one of the key steps. One of the most uh, known researchers within habits, BJ Fogg, who wrote the book Tiny Habits. He's from Stanford and he's been doing some of the best research in the world on habits over the years, right? And what he found is that it's super important that we kind of get that reward tied up straight to the behavior. Mm. So many people say like, okay, if I do this 10 times, then I'll treat myself with X. Yeah. That, it, that helps because it helps you have the motivation to do it. Um, but you need more than that because that's only the motivation to do it. You want to get that reward tied up straight away so that, that your brain connects like that behavior. So let's say that it is... Um, going for a walk or yep. running. So you want to like, once you finish it, find something to actually create that link up in your brain. And he talks about something as simple as just high-fiving yourself, giving yourself um, a clap on the shoulder. You might give yourself a hug. And for most people, that sounds super like crazy. Like that can't really do it. But if you're listening right now and you're not in a space where it's going to be super awkward, you can try and just be like, put your arms up and be like, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, well, even just most people that, kind of laughing. Yeah. Yeah. I can feel it. I mean, you feel it straight away when you, you bring it into that embodiment of, of the habit and that, that mini celebration. Yeah. Love it. Mm. So simple. Um, but I, you so that's one of the ways that we can actually do it. Yeah, and you just got me thinking about phones and technology and, and I, I pick up myself all the time about how quickly I can get into some habits which are distracting, which aren't valuable in my life, but I know I'm doing it because it's you know on the phone and it's easy and it's rewarding and breaking that and how I need to bring something else that I find rewarding. So maybe here's what I'm going to do and, and listeners, please challenge me on this, that I want to put the phone down more, pick up the book more and do some reading. Maybe I should give myself some little celebrations as I read through my book, not just at the end of completing a book. That'd be fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. And definitely more helpful. A model you can look into as well is kind of the time model. So it talks about how do you actually create a habit? So the time model stands for T that is the trigger. The A is the action and the R is the reward. So how we build habits is very much related to that. So the trigger that can be that you see your phone, like you look over and you see your phone, right? Yeah. And you're like, ah, then you're reaching for it. So the action is that you reach for it and you open 
social media or your email. The reward you get is, well, the brain rewards you being like, ah, this was nice. I got some kind of confirmation or something else, uh, colors and something interesting. So then that builds that space. It also happens with the bad habits. So, so someone might be nervous at the feeling a bit pressured. So you're sitting at their office, you're kind of feeling oh, a bit pressured. You then pick up your phone and go to social media to get kind of that relief. You get the reward because you get distracted from being um, pressured on the deadline. Mm -hmm. And then suddenly that loop gets stronger and stronger. So you're looking at the phone as well when you're not nervous or when you're not pressured or stressed. So, so you got to be extremely aware, but understanding that model first is kind of the foundation to like actually changing. So if you want to build a habit, the first thing to trigger, you want to make it super visible. So the phone is often visible, right? We feel it in our pockets. It's lying in front of our computer or something else. So we constantly have that trigger to be notified, to be like, hey, take your phone. Yeah. And the action is super easy, right? You, we even got it so easy. Now we have face recognition. You don't even need to put in the pin code. It's just <laughs> like you pick it up. Like, so, so the action is also easy. And then it's super rewarding. So when we want to build something, we want to make it super visible. We want to make the action extremely easy, which the phone makers has been fascinatingly good at, right? And then you want to make it rewarding. So if you, for example, want to read more, you put the book out in the morning, you put it on your bed, or you put it on your table. And then when you come home, the book is already there. So it's visible. It's lying there just like your phone would probably lie there, something else. Or like the TV remote would be out visible. Instead, the book is visible. And then you make it easy by just having to read one page. Then you accomplish the goal and you have some kind of reward that you build in. Like if you just read one page a day, you give yourself a high five or a clap on the shoulder. Love it. Love it. Yeah, that I think... That's a real good insight for me around how I just make it easy to adopt the new habit by having that trigger out of the way, get rid of the phone, get rid of that uh, uh, device and bring the book more visible. So that's the thing I'm going to go to much easier. Um, I, I love the way you're chunking down little changes that make it easier. Um, but what about if it's a real strong habit that someone's got um, for some of the people that you work with? And it might be like a really unhealthy negative habit they've developed how do you start to turn that around so there's several steps i suppose like they're kind of mechanical steps to break the habit and then there's the reason why do they have that happen what need is it meeting mm. so there's figuring out what need is it needing to do this habit is it comfort is it a feeling of importance what is it that it actually does so figuring out what need is it meeting and then what can we replace that habit with so because some people say, I haven't seen the research that says that you can't get rid of a habit without uh, replacing it with some with a new habit. But most of us know intuitively, at least, that it's easier to get rid of a habit if we replace it with a new. So figuring out what need is that negative habit meeting? Because all of our habits are meeting a need, right? When we're looking at the phone and we're eating junk and different things, it's meeting needs. Yeah. So we need to figure out how can we replace that need with a more healthy need? So that would be the first step. Second step is just like the time model again. So instead of the trigger, you want to make it invisible or you want to make it invisible. So you want to remove it, whether it's physically, um, so you don't see that mm. um, trigger so often. You want to make the action super hard. So for example, with your phone, you want to remove, if, if you use it too much, don't have face recognition. Have a long pin code. I know it's a bit impractical, 
remove those apps, potentially delete them or put them down into folders, make a limitation on the iPhone. You can set a limitation to only be able to use those apps for like five or 10 minutes. You need to put in a pin code again, make that pin code as long as possible so that it's difficult to actually do. And then find some way to make it unsatisfying. Some of these habits are already kind of unsatisfying. Uh, social media, you can set up a limit for yourself, like that if you do it, you have to like two things that you would be embarrassed about liking. If you actually do it, then your brain starts connecting like, hey, this is not so fun. <laughs> I like all those little tips. Um, and obviously, um, lots of people out there have, uh, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or TikTok, or whatever it is, you know, um, can be getting uh i think in a way of doing other parts of our life and um leading a more fulfilling life i mean and that's the thing that that's raising to my awareness right now around well how much time do i spend scrolling mindlessly when i could be doing something else that's more fulfilling more satisfying as well that said sometimes we need a bit of a distraction but like you're saying be aware of why you're doing it Hmm. You know, yeah, what's that motivation? Yeah. There's something in psychology called healthy escapism. Ah, yeah. So like escape from the world. So it's that balance um, that you really want to be aware of. Like it's fine once in a while to like escape. So for me, my go-to thing, which is a, you say more healthy thing, is I'm a Manchester United fan since I was a small kid. I haven't <laughs> seen any of their games for the last four to five years, but I grew up with Peter Smeichel, who was a Danish goalkeeper. So he was like, before I could read, I was like, like going through these magazines about them. So I go to this Danish website called oldtrafford.dk and they only have one to two news a day, short news. So that's where I go. I read one news, which takes me like two to three minutes. Yeah. And that's just like, a... but I don't have like on Instagram, endless amount of being able to scroll. Yeah. So, so there's nothing wrong with using Instagram and the other things once in a while. And especially I think social media is often getting a bad rep, but it's also how you use them. So if you use them in a positive way where you're not following people that makes you feel like less, but you follow like stuff that actually inspires you, like your podcast, finding stuff where you can learn something from, then yeah. it's just a matter of not getting stuck in only learning, but also doing. Yeah, I did a big call a little while ago and looked at who I was following um, what was that bringing into my awareness, into my mind, into my heart and did a, a, a big call and that felt really good. So, yeah. um, and I really encourage people to do that. Like Mads just said, you know, look at what's filling up your feed and is it, is it helping you feel better about yourself and lift you and inspire you? Or is it actually um, giving you some emotions, which uh, make you feel worse about yourself or not, not strong about yourself. So um, and be a bit ruthless about some of those because you can always refollow something down the track if you really want to, but be ruthless and cut some of those out of your feed. Um, you mentioned Man U. How are they going at the moment? They are, uh, it's kind of like Liverpool for 10 years, a dark period after the great Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson. Um, <laughs> they got a second place this time. Um, it's, I don't know why. It's, it's, for me, it's more just like when I follow them, it's something that goes back to my childhood and just kind of that I don't get that emotional about whether they win or not any longer. Still a bit annoyed when I say that they lose and there was a long period where they kept losing, right? I think I think what I've noticed with a lot of people I've talked to is as they grow older, they realize that the result of the game isn't up to them and not attaching your emotional well-being to the result of a team that you follow isn't healthy. 
I fully agree. And, and thanks for bringing that up. I really think like we need to figure out what can we control and what can we not control. I read when I was fairly young in the Dalai Lama, a book from him where he was talking about worries and so on. And he talked about worries like, can you do something about them? Do it. If you can't, stop worrying about it because you can't do anything about it. <laughs> and it's just so true. The same, like, don't worry about it. Don't let it affect your mood when it's like nothing you can change, right? Mm. I know Tony Robbins, he talks about a, a third one as well that he probably got from another person. It's like, either you do something about it uh, or if you can't do something, you don't do something. If you can't do something about it, but you don't do it, stop complaining and stop worrying. Yeah. Because then you made that choice. But like, no more complaints. Either you do something or you or you stop complaining. Yeah. So, um, and coming, and particularly after the year that we've had, if you think about 2020 and, and even right now in the middle of 2021, um, all that's going on in the world, um, what have you been seeing with the clients you've been working with around how they're feeling at the moment? Because I have noticed there's more of a heaviness because hmm. people are getting more in tune to what's going on around the world and obviously COVID and many other things. What's, what have you been noticing in the clients you're working with? I think there's a mix, but there's definitely like that heaviness of not being able to see other human beings, right? Yeah. When, when, which is such an important need for us to see other human beings being part of a tribe, then suddenly having to wear a mask, we don't get those, even those small smiles and interaction during the day. And you're not allowed to get that physical touch as well, which is so important for us as well. Mm. So I, I think it's, it's super natural that so many people are feeling more down because our basic human needs are not being met. Um, I also see a lot of frustration with like the lack of um, information coming out. So in Denmark and other places, there's been a lot of um, sensor with different information. If it wasn't into the narrative of we need to lock everything down. We had like top scientists that were like being removed from LinkedIn and other medias for, for, for pointing to studies coming out. Like there was a big Danish study and not going into what should do with COVID, but just like what frustrated people was, there was a big Danish study coming out, publishing good uh, papers um, that mass didn't help you from not getting COVID. It was a huge study. Yeah. Um, but it didn't show whether it would um, protect someone from contaminating someone else, but it did show that it didn't have an effect. And someone, people that were posting that got removed and they got the post deleted. So I've seen huge frustration about the lack of normal debate, um, whether you agree or not, but being able to pull that information out. That's something that at least I've noticed like a huge frustration about like, hey, what's going on? This is not okay. I've noticed some of that as well. and. I think the bit there, I think that's really important that you mentioned is let's still be able to have healthy debate from people that know what they're talking about. Yeah. That, as you said, if there's scientists that are conducting research and they know what they're talking about and they want to publish that, that the platform should be available, you know, democracy for people to share that. Um, and yeah, and that leads to some levels of frustration and heaviness. Um, for people that right now are feeling a bit of that, uh, I know that you're, living an amazing life and that's what you help people do and, and the people you talk to in your podcast what's some of the simple things that you know help people turn that around is it back to some what we talked about before about focusing watching your control or, or what else do you know helps yeah but definitely like the first step is we like what can you actually control you can even make a map all the things that frustrate you 
it's probably not the best, but sometimes just get it out and just be like, this, I can do something about this, I can't. If you have too many frustrations, it might be too much for you, depending on where you are emotionally. But if, if you're still in an okay state, but then like, what are all the things you can do about? What are the things that you can actually do something about that will have the biggest impact? So I mean, like, like what would actually make you feel better? And mm. so there's truth, like we talk about happiness, Martin Seligman, who's like the father of positive psychology. Like back in the days with psychology, we only looked at like, how do we make a sick person feel okay? Yeah, yeah. Which is super important. But how about how do we make someone feel okay to fantastic? Yeah. So Martin Seligman, he, he was with the president of one of the biggest associations within psychology and like, okay, like one out of 10 studies is about how do we make people feel good? How about we get a few more studies? And he talks about what is happiness. And many of us mostly think about hedonic happiness, which is like uh, chocolate, sex, um, that kind of stuff that makes us feel really good. Um, another level is flow, where you're really engaged in something and everything disappears around. You don't feel that many emotions. It might It's when you're doing some kind of challenging task, but it's still at the level where you can actually complete it. And then there's the third meaning back to your question, which or third uh, level of happiness, which is meaning. Yeah. To being involved in something, something that's bigger than yourself. And all three levels of happiness are important, but it's definitely important that we get number two and three. Yeah. So yeah. going back to your question, what can we do? Well, we shouldn't only focus on the things like chocolate, sex, um, whatever makes us feel good right now, a movie and so on. So on. Um, sometimes it's also choosing if you're frustrated about something, the level of meaning like actually putting some effort into trying to change something that's important or helping other people. And we know I had a podcast episode as well with a, a scientist from the US mm. who had done a study that shows that if you're in a not the best state, often you will get more happiness from helping others, doing something good for others than yourself. I love that. Kind of, they did five, yeah. five different uh, experiments. That's not to say, and especially many women that are like, not spending like not focusing on taking care of themselves that you should spend all of your time on like trying to help other people around you but it is like of course having a healthy balance of taking care of yourself giving yourself some self-love but then also looking outside of yourself in to feel better yeah I, I i love that you brought that back to that healthy balance that you're looking after yourself so that you have a full cup that you can serve others and at the same time, if you know that's the case, but you're feeling a bit flat, a bit down, a bit um, out of sort, however you want to frame that up, you know, who, who can you serve right now to help as well? Um, and that level of fulfillment you get and that level of purpose, that connection to purpose you just mentioned, that's so important. Um, I want to ask about Nordic biohacking. This is a new term for me. I'm interested and curious can you give me and the listeners a, a bit of an overview of what you mean by Nordic biohacking? Sure. So some people might have heard about biohacking before. And what, what do you think, Murray, when you hear about biohacking? What's the first thought that comes to mind? Uh, so with biohacking, I think about um, hacking your biology through technology or nootropics or different ways to, um, I guess, hack your health and well-being through some new and different ways. Yeah. That's not a bad description. So that's definitely part of biohacking. <laughs> so, so it's kind of the American way of biohacking, which is very focused on technology. Uh -huh. As Americans sometimes often are, if you generalize. Um, 
And that's fantastic. But so like when we look at the Nordic way of biohacking, we say it's the art and science of optimizing your health, your performance and your well-being through nature and technology. Oh, gotcha. So often in the Nordic, we're very like minimalistic. There's a bigger focus sometimes on nature as well. So we're really looking at like, how can you optimize these things? So some of the things that you said, nootropics and so on, are definitely ways to optimize your sharpness and being present. But we're, we're living in an unnatural world these days and with devices all around, blue light that has a negative effect. So biohacking is also very much about mitigating those negative effects. So both when we talked about psychology, how do you go from um, feeling bad to feeling okay? And then also biohacking, how do you go from feeling okay to feeling amazing and having that extra spark and energy? So we look at what are things such as cold water? Now we know there's more research about cold water. I had a PhD on that did her PhD in cold water. And we know that it increases autophagy, which is better for longevity. We know that it uh, increases or promotes uh, brown fat and other things. We know that when you come up as well, the release in the hormones in your body, you feel amazing. So yeah. now we're starting to get more research on it. Same thing goes with meditation. That used to be something that we back in the days uh, thought was crazy. Now we know that it actually helps. So mm -hmm. when we have biohacking, we look at, that's why we say the art and science. So we look at studies first. What are the studies showing? what works well. But what we also know from the studies is it's often those outliers, right? And the outliers are interesting for someone looking into the performance as well, because who are really like doing the best potentially can be an outlier or who is not reacting well to this treatment or this method. So we talk about something called N equals one, which is like the basics of biohacking is a sample size of one. So we start with the studies, what works for most people, but we then test it on ourselves to see does it actually work instead of mindlessly so just going into it, we actually see does it work for us or not. And then we say it comes from um, ancestral wisdom and modern science. So again, double-blinded studies, the best proof, even though some double-blinded studies turn out not to be uh, replic replicable afterwards that we can do them again yep. and get the same result to like my grandma said. But there is some of this ancestral wisdom, like my grandma said, that we are starting to figure out. So as a child, you might have been taught that you should eat your dessert in the end. I'm not sure whether you people have been taught that in Australia as well. Oh, yes, yes, definitely. Yep. There's many reasons for that. But now we also know if from biohacking technology, if you put a continuous glucose monitor on you that measures your glucose levels. If you eat your fats and your proteins first, your glucose levels are not going to spike as much. Uh huh. And that's quite fascinating because we don't want a lot of sparks. So some of these things that we've been told, like from back in the days, and just like meditation and, and being grateful or prayer and so on, yep. fasting as well that many uh, traditions and religions have done, are turning out like this ancestral wisdom to be extremely good. Yeah. So we so we look at both sides, both like whether it's a continuous glucose monitor that I tried, whether it's a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which is showing amazing results for longevity, to what does it do to actually jump in cold water? What does it mean to fast? What does it mean to get out and get sunlight because it has a different effect on us? Yeah. And for me, uh and everyone that or most people that listen to my podcast now, I'm a mountain biker. I love mountain biking. And I know when I get out in the forest, in the bush, there's a level of joy and um, rejuvenation in my well-being that I won't get if I'm inside a building. 
And that's mm. away from technology amongst nature, rocks, trees, the wind, the sunlight. And uh, when you were talking before, I was thinking about, okay, that's part of my, my, uh, my own biohacking. Cause I'm, I'm, I can be on my bike in two minutes. I can feel a change straight away. Yeah. And then after, you know, two or three hours, it's like, I'm a, in a different state. Totally. And, and that's the thing that we need to focus more on as well. And that's mm -hmm. a big part of the Nordic biohacking movement is that we do love technology, but we also realize many of them are still gadgets and in the early stage, and we might want to be the ones testing them out, but nature is key. The same mm -hmm. thing with grounding, like just taking your socks off and putting them on the ground. For most people, it's going to the sand. For most people, it just feels amazing. I was doing it yesterday after one of the jumps. And like took my shoes off because I know about it. And suddenly I was just like, wow, my body felt better. As you're saying, like that state. And we've been able to do some studies now where we can see inflammation lowers in the body uh, when people are grounding. There's still a lot of research that needs to come out on it, but at least there's some studies and it can be higher quality and bigger sample sizes, but like actually just that touch with nature. Yeah. And I think it's Japan, they actually prescribe people that have depressions and different things to go to forest something called biophilia, where we know our connection with nature is so important. Someone that can see a tree from the window and an office have less sick days. Mm. So it's mm. just like, it's crazy how we got so disattached from nature when it's so important for our well-being. Yeah, and if I picture someone that works and lives in a city and uh, every moment they've either got shoes on or concrete under their feet, and to get some of that grounding back on sand or soil or grass and doing that, as you said, just, I, I know for myself, I get that recentering, but also I feel like my spatial awareness resets as well. Like I feel more back into my own body. Yep. Um, yeah. Um, so I also just want to go back. I like the N equals one, which is what I'm hearing when you say that, that test it for yourself. Is this right for you? Give it a try, but don't just take everything as at face value. Exactly. There's so many experts out there, or mm. when at least when you go to social media. And what I found was that many of them don't read the studies here. So you see something on social media that are being reposted, right? So the first advice that you get might even be wrong. But even if it comes from there, this good study like Mila that I interviewed, who has a doctor degree, like a PhD in psychology. And that shows like helping others is still like, okay, what's that balance and how do you feel from it? Right. And it's, it's so key that we take that awareness back. Yeah. hundred percent. So if there were a couple of biohacks that have worked really well for you and for people you've worked with and what you've picked up on the conversations you've had in your podcast, um, what would be, you know, three or four that you would love to um, recommend for us to try. Sure. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think the first thing is figuring out what do you want to accomplish yeah. before trying to biohack. And so that's the first question. And then you also look at so kind of the framework for finding the biohacks. Um, is it helping you get data on something that you want? Is it um, effectful? Most likely to what you're doing. Is it fun? Yeah. Like, God damn it. Way too many people are beating themselves up every single day. Like, mm. we need to have fun. Like, there's no reason just to push yourself all the time. So, is it fun? Like, does it save me time? And is it fairly cheap, right? So, something that's fairly cheap that I love to do is simply just take my shoes off and my socks off and feel the ground. Yeah. For me, it just it feels better in my body. 
it goes the same with meditation but that's an advice that everyone have heard so many times right breathing um, i learned a simple breathing um, technique from a, from an episode where we like do this humming and it opens up the chest and it just it it uh, calms down the um, the vagus nerve and the and the system so you're more relaxed so like those kind of mindfulness in different ways is a top for me red light therapy photobiomodulation um, is this red light that sends different um, light frequencies um, this old technology that we've been using for like almost 100 years that are just becoming more consumer gradable and it feels amazing yeah like, wow that's like yeah i'm a person that loves to have fun yeah and i want to live a, a, a life with energy and um, basically be in a good spirit right uh, we have this one life so we get the most out of it so i prefer to do kind of biohacks that that give me joy as well and sitting up against it feels amazing and i can do i can meditate or i can answer messages at the same time while i do it i have a big panel that is up against my wall simple stuff such as sauna yeah it's also something that uh, it detoxifies and so on so i would actually say most of my favorite biohacks are not these crazy um, tech ones like i tried to have straps gathered around my entire brain which was super fascinating to see my brain waves and neurofeedback and so on and, and be in these chambers as well but the the best biohacks for me are often the simple ones that gives a bit of joy yeah and what you just talked through there a lot of those simple don't cost a lot give you joy have some fun yeah love it love it if i had a ton of money i would buy a hyperbaric oxygen chamber <laughs> those are like those are expensive uh, it's old technology as well but we are seeing crazy results uh, health-wise when using a hyperbaric oxygen chamber so if, if you're sitting and listening and you're really loaded uh, the <laughs> biohack go check up hyperbaric oxygen chambers a guy called uh, scott on my podcast he uh, he's the guy to guide in that We'll make sure we've got a link to that one in the, in the show notes to go and check that out. Um, uh, so tell me what's in store for you for the rest of 2021. You're skydiving at the moment, getting that done. What else is on your radar? Yeah. So we're ramping up more with the podcast um, and doing more talks. So yep. both um, participating in podcasts and doing workshops on the main thing that drives me is like what makes people happy? What gives mm -hmm. a good life? and habits and Nordic biohacking are two approaches to, to get a more fulfilling life. So that's going to take some more time in the coming year. Um, I'm also a partner in something called Kring, where we build companies within health and well-being, so tech companies and so on. And, uh, and we're going to be building some more companies there. Plus, I'm also um, in the board of some of them. So um, that's super fascinating. Yeah, um, cool. Definitely takes some time as well. And then it's getting better to take time off. I get so fascinated by working. <laughs> but i have a i have a lovely girlfriend that i want to spend more time with i have a great family and great friends so it's really making sure that i, I get that time to remember mm -hmm. them as well and don't get stuck in the loop of like what i feel is a big mission to help people feel better life but also remember that the circle around me yeah awesome and i think that's a really great uh, reminder for everybody that um linking back to what you said before about us as humans being pack animals and part of a tribe and that connection and, and taking the time out for that as well. Um, and that in itself is a hack, you know, don't forget to do that. Um, it's so important. The blue zones thing, yeah. the blue zones was these studies about what the, the people live in the longest. One of the main things is the social connection. 
Yeah. And it's so easy, right? That we, we don't talk about it as often because we take it for granted and everyone knows it, but like, it is one of the main things like schedule in seeing other people work on how do you build like strong connections? Like what are quality questions instead of just talking about that Manchester United game? Like what's a quality <laughs> conversation and, and how do you build that like space for having a conversation that matters? That is like one of the keys and probably much more important than all of the other things to be discussed in, the, in, in this interview, right? Is like those social connections. Well, interesting you say that, Mads. I ran a workshop for one of my clients early this week, full-day workshop, covered a whole range of uh, business processes and systems and updates that they needed to do, and we did some other things. But um, what I brought in was a, a very short session where I said, get up, talk to your fellow team members, about 40 of them, and find out from th at least three people something about them that you didn't know, a passion, um, something outside of work that they're passionate about or a skill or a strength in an area you're not aware. And the amount of feedback that we've got, which said that was the best part of the whole day. Those conversations where I really got to know each other at a different level, at a different insight, people just found it so insightful and valuable. And I think you're right. We having those conversations and let's connect with people really beyond, you know, did my team win last night? Mm. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for all your information around habits, Nordic biohacking, your inspiration around uh, how we can build those into our, um, our lives to be the best we can, be happy, be joyful. It's been fantastic. Um, I want to ask, what's your definition of inspired energy? It's when you're waking up in the morning and you're excited about starting the day. It's when I'm with people where I feel like there's no limits. I feel like I can reach the moon. I feel fully alive. I feel I'm more in my body than I'm in my head. That I have kind of that vibration of just like, let's go for it. That's, that's inspired energy for me. Oh, I love that. And, and that's a, a, a newer, different definition about I'm more in my body than my head. I love that. Uh, that is fantastic. Mads, thank you so much. I want to make sure in our show notes, we'll have links to a few of the things you've talked about in your podcast um, and links to your website to check you out. Uh, and if you got something out of this conversation with Mads, which I'm sure you did, because he's a wonderful, wonderful man. Um, please let us know, uh, tag us on social media. We will be on there at some stage and we'll all check it out. Um, but also make sure to check out Mads podcast and what he shares online as well. Um, I look forward to seeing a photo of you skydiving. Okay. I want to see this. I will. I'll have a video coming up. Oh, good. So uh, hopefully I won't be tumbling as many times as my, <laughs> hopefully I do get a lot of tumbles, but I recover without the instructor doing it for me. Tumble with control. That's what I'm feeling. Yes. 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 Uh, wonderful to talk to you um, and connect. I'm sure we'll talk again. Uh, all the best for your skydiving and, um, the coming weeks. Uh, and thanks for all your knowledge. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me on, Murray. Pleasure to talk to you.